Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth or a phantom of night that hath no heart or one that lieth dead in the desert or a ghost unburied or a demon or a ghoul whatever thou be until thou art removed thou shalt find here no water to drink Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Dan. Hope our American listeners have had a good Thanksgiving. Turkey, turkey. And speaking of giving, uh, I know you have kind of a non-update, but just to mention the giving tree. I have a non-update update on the giving tree because we record in advance. Today is actually like the day that I'm going to begin all of the sorting of the things mm-hmm. out, and we'll be drawing the names from the hats. So, unfortunately, the update is like... We're still working on it. Next week, we'll have an update on how much money was donated from the fans, yes. how much money we donated, uh, a probable amount that's coming from Patreon, and how okay. many families we were able to help. That's awesome. Yeah, very, very exciting to work on that. Mm-hmm. We hired my mom to help, and mm-hmm. we call her St. Joan. She's literally the best person alive, so super fun to have her on board helping with that. Yeah, she'll be helping with some extra charitable stuff going forward uh, too that you'll be announcing next year. Yeah, we'll have a big charitable announcement at the beginning of 2022, which sounds crazy. 22. I know, almost here. My age. Can you believe it? Yeah, exactly. I'm I don't know, I'm 25. God, it feels uh, good to be young. <laughs> Final reminder that the Bad Magic Productions charity of the month continues to be IAVA, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Thank you again to the Creeps Peepers, other bad magicians who helped us give $15,800 to this great charity that offers guidance, support, and resources for post-9-11 veterans, that community. Uh, they do things like assist veterans with uh, using their GI Bill, helping them find housing, uh, mental health support, and so much more. And you can go to IAVA.org for more information. Sounds good to me. And how many stories do you have today? I have two. You have two. I have two. Oh, all right. Two, two, two. Our traditional uh, pair of a pair of stories. A pair of stories. Yes, I think last week I only had one. Right? If mm, I'm remembering that's right. correctly, that's right. Because it's confusing because we recorded last week's and the bonus episode. Yeah. So but I, I think yeah, you're right. I think you had one. Yeah. I, I think I just had one. So yeah, I have a good old fashioned haunted house. And, um, oh, yes, I forgot how much I love this second story. Also a haunted house, but also a very creepy 
clown situation. Oh, we haven't had too many of those. I know, and I know how much you love a clown. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like I've I've thought about it so much and joked around about it so much. Like part of me is like, no, I don't think I'm really like bothered by them anymore. Well, you will be after I know, this. But that's what I was going to say. It's like, but if the right situation were to happen, like <laughs> if I got to pick which kind of monster appeared in a closet, clown would not be high on the list or clowns would not be high on the list. Uh-huh. What would be high on the list? I mean, I don't I don't know. Like if you, if you had to have a monster appear in the closet, I mean a uh like like a vague shadow person sucks, but that would be better for me than like a doppelganger. Oh, or yeah. or a clown okay. or like the hat man, you know, like with mm-hmm. like red eyes. There mm-hmm. there are some that are scarier than others to me. Okay, okay. I think something that I don't know, it's really tricky because if it's something that is like you can't really discern its shape and what it is, I think that might make me more crazy because I'm like, did I see it? Was it something? Yeah. Like it would send me in a spiral mm. as opposed to like it was definitely this. Right, right. Both terrifying. Both terrifying, yeah. But at least then you have a definitive answer. Yes, it was a clown. As opposed to, I don't know. Mm. I don't like the unknown. You don't like the unknown? So that one might be scarier for you. Yeah. Okay, anyways. Uh, My two stories. My first one is uh, Odd True Crime Mystery from Finland. Ooh, okay, fun. The Lake Bodum Murders. Four teens attacked at a campsite outside of Helsinki in 1960 on the shores of Lake Bodum. One barely survives. Uh, who the killer is remains a mystery. Whoever posted today's encounter story seems to believe the murders are related to the occult. Uh, the second story is a tale of a long-haunted address in London, 50 Berkeley Square. So many strange deaths in this home. A few of the people seem to have been literally scared to death. Oh, Okay. So very, both always, you know, always very interesting. Uh, are you ready for story number one? Uh, yes, I have two things to say. Mm. I have a very itchy tag in my sweater. Okay. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. And check out these socks. Got little dinosaurs on there. Not just dinosaurs, Christmas dinos. We Christmas are, dinos. Let me see, we are full on. You think I'd know how to do this by now? I have now. quite a sock collection now. I know. I have a giant bin of them. <laughs> I try not to wear them twice, which feels really wasteful. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should like donate them. After you wear them? Donate I know, your used weird? socks? I know. <laughs> that, like of all the things that I'll give to like Goodwill or Idaho Youth Ranch or whatever, socks, bras, and underwear and bathing suits I'm usually out on because it feels too intimate. Maybe you should sell all of that on a fetish site and then take the money and give that to charity. Okay. You could have just some, you know, some pervs out there wearing your socks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not on, a, maybe not even on their feet. Okay, listen. Like, if there's a fan out there <laughs> that wants to take, all, I'll send you all the socks, huh? and you can find the pervs. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be. I don't want to know. Okay. okay. You, you could have like a, a like a like a perv intermediary. Exactly. Somebody somebody who is not part of but knows the perv market well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. They used to be one. <laughs> they used but to. But they're recovered. <laughs> a recovered perv. Because like I still got a lot of perv contacts. Yeah. It's like it's like being uh, uh, a recovered a, addict. Still got a lot of kink contacts. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The show is so weird. Um, <laughs> well, you get settled in. I, I will start setting up this tale. Okay. It was supposed to be a pleasant lakeside camping trip. Four teenagers set out on a sweetheart's getaway with the intent of roughing it in a single tent perched on the banks of a serene lake. And then at some point in the middle of the night, tragedy struck. By the next morning, three of the members of the group would be dead and the fourth brutally injured. The remaining living member would also become a suspect in a case that many in Finland do not think has a completely natural explanation. Time now for the tale of the mysteries of Lake Bodum. 
On June 4th, 1960, 15-year-olds Mela Bjorklund and Anjamaki of Espoo, Finland, set out on what would be a tremendously ill-fated camping trip. Accompanying the two young women were their 18-year-old boyfriends, Seppo Boisman and Niels Gustafsson. They had chosen a well-known campsite on the shores of Lake Bodum. Lake Bodum sits just outside the Finnish capital of Helsinki. Measuring three kilometers in length and one kilometer in width, roughly 1.15 square miles, the lake is known for its tranquil beauty. It's a big, calm, clear lake with a seemingly endless sky above it. But what would happen on the night of June 4th would be anything but calm. The four teenagers arrived at the campsite around midday and spent a sunny, warm afternoon out in nature. And then that night, after they'd all laid down for bed, something horrible happened. Someone or something viciously attacked the campers. The murderous carnage was all over by the time the sun rose on Lake Bodum the following morning. At 6 a.m., a group of young boys were birdwatching nearby when they saw a man with long blonde hair walking away from the collapsed tent at the bloody campsite. Thinking he was just packing up, the boys went back to birdwatching and didn't either investigate or report anything. Five hours later, at 11 that morning, a jogger came across the goriest sight he'd ever seen and did report it. Anja and Seppo's dead bodies lay inside the tent, surrounded by a mess of tent fabric that someone had stabbed or slashed through. Melia was found lying dead on the top of the tent, undressed from the waist down. The stab wounds in her body were significantly worse than any of the wounds found on the other two corpses, and medical examiners later determined that many of them had been made after she was already dead. The body of her boyfriend Nils was also found outside the tent. He'd sustained several serious injuries, including a concussion, a fractured jaw, and a deep knife wound to the forehead. But he was still alive when the police arrived on the scene. And he's still alive today. What the hell happened? The keys to the teenagers' motorcycles were gone, but the motorcycles themselves hadn't been taken. Gustafsson's shoes were also missing. They were found later roughly half a mile from the tent along with parts of his clothing. When asked to explain what had happened to his shoes, or if he knew anything about the motorcycles, Gustafsson claimed to have no memory of the attacks except for one detail. He claimed to have seen a pair of bright red and black eyes coming towards the tent from the darkness around them just as the murders began. And then he blacked out. Gustafson's story sounded suspicious to investigators and he would end up becoming one of three primary suspects in the murders, but not the one the police focused on initially. The first suspect in the murders was Carl Gilstrom, known in the local community as the Kiosk Man because he owned and operated a nearby food stand. Kilstrom was a notoriously ill-tempered, confrontational man known to yell at campers, tear down tents, and even throw rocks at children passing through the area. And once during a drunken conversation with a neighbor, he even confessed to the Lake Bodum murders. So he must have done it, right? Perhaps, but the police didn't charge him with anything, primarily because his wife claimed he had been asleep at home with her at the time of the killings. But then after his death, nine years later, she would recant this alibi, saying she actually did not know where he had been that night. She said she only gave him the alibi because she was afraid of what he would do to her if he didn't because he was a violent man and he'd threatened her. Making him look guiltier still, Gilstrom had also been seen filling a well in his front yard just days after the murders. Many people think this is where he might have hidden murder weapons that have never been found. In 1969, Gilstrom drowned himself in Lake Bodum. Guilty conscience, perhaps? Suspicious location. As guilty as he seems at first glance, there is another interesting suspect in the murders. After Gilstrom's wife's testimony took him off the official suspect list, suspicion then turned to another man, Hans Osman. 
an alleged KGB spy and former Nazi, Osman appeared on the police's radar the morning of June 6, 1960. Shortly after the incident, Osman had come into the Helsinki Surgical Hospital the night before, fingernails black with dirt, his clothes covered in red stains. Hospital staff said that he was acting very nervous, aggressive, just strange. At one point, he even pretended to be unconscious. But after a brief questioning, he seemed to have a solid alibi, and the police didn't pursue him any further. His stained clothes were never taken in for examination, despite the doctor's claims that they were almost certainly stained with blood. Osman even had the long blonde hair the birdwatching boys had mentioned. And he had a history of violence against women, including his wife, Vieno, who divorced him in 1970 and then told police she suspected him in the killings, saying he frequented the area where the bodies were found and that his alibi was not as strong as he had claimed. Another man someone had lied for. Uh, still, he was never charged. Osman was the public's favorite suspect up until 2004, when investigators decided to reopen the case after 44 years, claiming recent advancements in forensic technology and had uncovered new blood evidence found on a pair of shoes, also that they'd recently received a new tip from a woman claiming to have been camping nearby over four decades ago. This new evidence led to the arrest of the lone survivor, Niels uh, Gustafsson. Now police claiming, uh, claimed that they had thought he had done it all along. They insisted that they had only waited until there was finally enough evidence to support their claims. According to them, Gustafsson killed his girlfriend Melia in a fit of jealous rage. This, th this was thought to explain the severity of her injuries and the fact that her body had been the only one other than his to be found outside the tent. They believed he had gotten into a scuffle with the other boy, and that was how he'd sustained his facial injuries. He then killed the other two teens in an attempt to dispose of eyewitnesses, then inflicted additional injuries upon himself. At trial, the defense claimed that Gustafson had uh, had no proven motive. Uh, at trial, the defense claimed that Gustafson had no proven motive for the crimes, though. They were all friends, no history of violence. He'd committed no violent acts in the many years since. Also, all four teens had had their jaws broken that night, suggesting they were likely all attacked by the same person with the same weapon. They claimed that if, uh, you know, Gustafson had truly gotten into a fight, uh, he would have been too injured to then viciously murder his friends, let alone walk more than half a mile round trip to hide his shoes. Despite this defense, the prosecution won out. He was convicted. Uh, a new witness said that he had told her at the bar once that he had been the killer. So now we have another person confessing to this crime. Why would he say that? After serving just a single year in prison, a quick successive appeal gave him back his freedom. So who did it? What happened? So many questions still remain. Why didn't the bird watchers, if they could see the destroyed tent, which would have been covered in blood, with two bodies outside it, why didn't they report the crime scene? Also, when new DNA evidence was gathered, why wasn't any DNA taken from the drowned suspect, Carl Gilstrom? Why did two men confess to committing heinous murders if neither one of them actually committed it? And what the hell were those red and black eyes Gustafson was talking about? Some suspect multiple suspects who all look guilty combined with the details about those eyes indicates the occult. Were the teens sacrificed? Was this all part of some disturbing ritual? Did a couple of these suspects work together to commit these crimes? Part of the same cult? If the following claim posted by someone under the name of Leighton is to be believed, perhaps so. Leighton and Amelia have been dating for a little over a year when she asked him to go to Finland with her. They were seniors in college. Amelia said it would be the perfect graduation trip. She had been born in Helsinki, moving to the States with her parents when she was 13. And she still had extended family all over Finland. It might be fun, she said, to stay with family as they made their way across the country. Then they could take a train or a flight to the rest of Europe and do a bigger trip. 
She still had family there. Of course, we don't have to stay with my family the whole time, Amelia said, squeezing Leighton's arm and staring at him suggestively. I know I really want some alone time, too. Leighton had never even been out of the country. When he first started dating Amelia, which was only two months earlier, things had moved along pretty fast. Her being so well-traveled made him feel insecure. She was so worldly, he'd barely been to the next state over. But looking at her smiling face as she recounted stories about camping with her cousins when she was little and riding dog sleds through snowy woods, Leighton couldn't help but feel excited. How fun to have an experienced traveler for his travel guide, someone with family in the area, a sexy someone he was also dating. It seemed like it might be a little bit more of a big step than Leighton was ready for relationship-wise. He still wasn't sure about whether or not he and Amelia would even be together after college. And now here he was about to meet her whole family, but it sounded like it could be a very cool trip. And when would he ever get a chance like this again? So the summer after graduation, Leighton and Amelia got on a flight to Helsinki. The first few days after they, uh, the first few days they were set to stay at her cousin Nicholas's flat. Maybe due to the jet lag or all the alcohol they drank, those first few days would turn into a bit of a blur. Nicholas insisted on taking them to his favorite local bars every night, and the days were filled with wandering the city streets, trying new foods like fish pie, which Leighton actually found himself liking and trying to soak it all in. If it was a little stressful being around Amelia all the time, if Leighton was privately wondering if they were going to break up when they got back from their trip, he, try, he tried not to let it show. And Amelia didn't seem to have any idea. She loved being back in the country she'd spent much of her childhood in. So, Nicholas said on their third night, when they were all sprawled on the couch in his apartment, exhausted from a day of walking around, what's the plan from here? Amelia gave Nicholas a grin. I was thinking of taking him camping, she said. Get him away from the family for a while, out to Lake Bodum, maybe. Leighton blushed as Nicholas gave him a knowing look. I have some camping things in the basement storage room you can bring. You two lovebirds will have fun. Don't call me if you get too scared and have to come home, though. Nicholas, Amelia, or Amelia groaned. Something pinged in Leighton's mind. Scared of what? Later that night, as Nicholas drifted off to sleep in the guest bedroom, he felt Amelia get off the bed and go down the hall. He thought she was just going to the bathroom. But then a few minutes later, he heard hushed voices, Amelia's and Nicholas's. Why would you mention us getting scared? Amelia could be heard saying. I just figured he must have heard about the murders. It would be weird not to mention it, Nicholas responded. It was stupid. You know how long I've been working on this, said Amelia. What I've had to do, don't ruin this. Then Nicholas started to say, chill, cousin. Everything is still okay. All the preparations have been made. Everyone will be there. The beast. Just then, Leighton's phone started to ring. He forgot to put it on silent, and some friend back home was calling him, not late where they were. And when he went to turn it off, he ended up knocking the phone off the nightstand onto the floor. Now Amelia and Nicholas, who exchanged a few quick words and finish, were now done talking, and she was walking back into their room. Amelia asked him if everything was all right. He said yes. And then he asked her what she and Nicholas had been talking about, and she looked uncomfortable. He'd never caught her in a lie before, to his knowledge, but when she said, oh, nothing, he happened to be up and I was just making sure we had everything we needed for tomorrow. He felt certain she was lying. But lying about what? Good or bad? As he thought about that, as he wondered, did he, did he really hear Nicholas say beast? He quickly fell asleep. When morning came, he no longer cared about what Amelia and her cousin may have been talking about. He probably hadn't heard things right anyway. Nicholas's accent was pretty thick, and after grabbing breakfast... He excitedly bounded down the stairs and Amelia, with Amelia to the basement to check out camping equipment. They packed up and set off that afternoon. He felt great overall. He was on a beautiful trip with his loving girlfriend. He'd just graduated from college and the world was his oyster. However, he couldn't quite shake a weird, sinking sense of doom. Everyone will be there. The beast. Why does his mind keep floating back to that? 
Also in the car, he looked up Lake Bodum to see what murders Nicholas had been talking about. So many articles about the murders popped up. As he scanned them, he quickly realized this wasn't just a small local thing. There was even a Wikipedia page dedicated to them. Why hadn't Amelia mentioned that? Wouldn't the most famous story about Lake Bodum, what seemed to be the most famous true crime story in all of Finland, at least have come up conversationally? Hey, he said, when they were almost there, what did Nicholas mean when he said that we would get scared out here? Amelia shrugged her eyes on the road. Leighton saw or thought he saw her hands tighten on the steering wheel. No idea, she said. Maybe he's trying to scare me. Older cousin stuff, you know. Yeah, Leighton responded. The sinking feeling grew worse. Now he felt like it was heavier than a rock, like there was something weighting him down. She clearly knew about the murders. Why wouldn't she admit that, mention them now? They arrived at the campsite around 6. The sun wouldn't set until almost 11 due to the high latitude. That helped Leighton relax a bit. The more hours of sunlight, the better. The lake was beautiful, truly peaceful. But looking at it, it was hard to completely relax. He kept thinking about those murders. He wondered if the campground they were staying at was the same campground where the murders happened. He thought about the red and black eyes mentioned in a few articles and shivered. He asked Amelia if they were staying in the infamous spot, and she laughed him off. Not her normal laugh, though, abrupt, forced. Again, he thought she was lying. But why? After they set up the tent and goofed around by the lake a bit, skipping rocks into the water, having a few drinks, they went into the tent and started to fool around. Amelia was gorgeous. And the sex was always incredible. And this night, she was really into it, a little louder than usual. He hoped no one was around. Actually, it felt so good, he didn't really care. But now in the midst of sex, he started to hear it. A soft beat. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. He tried to ignore it at first. Amelia's sex sounds grew louder and he thought maybe she'd drown it out. But then he heard it again. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. A little louder, like whatever was making the noise was getting closer. Did you hear that, he says? He asked. She put a finger to his lips. Stop talking and fuck. Boom. That, he yelled. It was a drum, rhythmic, solemn. Probably just some teenagers having a party, Amelia said as Leighton now stopped moving. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to go look. No, she said, grabbing his arms and wrapping her legs around him tightly. Stay here with me. Forget about it. Boom, boom, boom. Amelia, he said, what are you doing? Just let me go. Look. He demanded as she squeezed him tighter still. He now pushed himself away from her and began to throw his clothes on. What's gotten into you? I just need to look, he asked as uh, she stared at him wild-eyed. Everyone will be here. The beast. Nicholas's words again flew into his head. They're just messing around, having a little fun, she said. What? Leighton asked as he finished getting dressed. Who? How would you know who they are? Leighton now poked his head outside of the tent, looked around in the darkness, and waited for his eyes to adjust. Boom, boom, boom. Leighton gasped. Moving along the shore in their direction was a procession of six or maybe seven people. It was dark and the person in the front was carrying a drum and banging on it. All the people wore hoods over their faces. Amelia, he said, turning back to her. There are people out there coming towards us. People with hoods. I know, she said calmly. Sorry, Leighton. I really do have feelings for you, but it has to be fed. Fed? Leighton didn't like the way that sounded at all. The beast, he mumbled as he put on his clothes and uh, his shoes and jacket. He looked back out the tent. Now there was the lead hooded figure facing directly towards him. And while he couldn't see his face, he could see his eyes. Red eyes, maybe even red and black. 
Just like he'd read about in those articles about the murders. Leighton began to freak the fuck out. He tried to scramble out of the tent, but Amelia grabbed him from behind and screamed something in Finnish while trying to hold him inside. The drummer's beating quickened as the figures started to run now towards their tent. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Get off! Leighton groaned, and he climbed out of the tent with Amelia on his back. He swung her around, flinging her off of him and started to run. Boom, 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 boom. As he ran past Amelia's car, he looked back and swore he could see several sets of red eyes now. Red eyes with black centers, maybe? He ran back down the road towards town, ducking off into the forest where he saw headlights. He would end up running all through the night. Luckily, in his jacket pockets were his passport, wallet, and phone. He was getting the hell out of Finland. He ran until he found a late-night pizza place and hid until it closed. He ignored numerous calls and texts from Amelia. He was terrified the whole time that a group of people with red eyes would approach. Next, he found a McDonald's, stayed there for another hour or so before heading to the airport. More missed calls, missed texts. After taking a taxi to the airport, he bought a last-minute flight back to the States on his credit card. He'd leave the rest of his luggage, basically all of his favorite clothes, his laptop, and more, all behind. There was no way he was going to risk running into Amelia again. He didn't want her to know where he was. He wasn't even going to provide a new address for her to send anything to. Luckily, he'd never told her where his parents lived. For the next few months, she occasionally continued to text him, tried to call a few times as well. And then finally, about a year after he ran away that night, he received one creepy final text. I'm staying in Helsinki again, Leighton. I've moved back here permanently. So sad I never got to say goodbye and that you won't answer my calls or return my texts. Let me know if you ever head over this way. I'd love to finish our camping trip. That's it? That's it. I hate when you do that. That's just the end. <laughs> That's the end. That's not a real ending. Well, this is a real ending. Yeah. You have to wonder if, you know, she's uh, out there sacrificing more people or who knows doing what. She's probably not even there. I feel like that's a lie. That mm. was probably to, like, get him to drop his guard and then be like, oh, great. She's done looking for me. Maybe. Mm-hmm. She tricky. <laughs> she tricky. <laughs> she tricky. Uh, couple, <laughs> couple, couple pictures uh, before we talk. Picture of Lake Bodum here, this first one. Yeah, just a nice little tranquil kind of... Uh, mountainous lake. I mean, I don't know if it is in the mountains with the pine trees and stuff. It feels like mountains aren't too far away. Yeah, it's really pretty. And then this is an old picture from 1960 of the shredded tent and the crime scene. Oh, man. They actually um, have that I don't, not in the museum, I, I, I wouldn't say, but like they, they kept that, I guess, as evidence, you know, for years and years and with the new trial, they actually like oh, set yeah. it up and yeah, it's crazy looking. Uh, bless you. Excuse me. Sorry. And then this is Nils Gustafsson at the murder trial 44 years after the crimes occurred. Can you even imagine? No. no. 44 years later, they're like, and we're going to drag you here and you're going to lose a year of your life. Mm-hmm. And then get, yeah, released again. And then like, just kidding, you're free. But uh, you'd always Oof. be worried that you could get pulled back in. Yeah, I, I double don't, jeopardy. I don't know if Finland has double jeopardy or not. Yeah, I don't know what their laws are that way. And then this last one, random pick of a hooded figure just with red eyes, just what I imagined that ah. uh, he might have seen by the lake. Oh. Mm, if he's telling the truth, but yeah, like just a, just a wild story. I mean, obviously the the first part of the story is not disputed. You well, know, absolutely the actual crime stuff, and and just a weird, mysterious murder. What's super weird about this uh, murder mystery to me? Is that a couple people confessed, according mm -hmm. to other people, about committing this crime? You know, like the cranky guy that had the little kiosk nearby would mm -hmm. sell stuff. Like he told a neighbor that he did it. Uh, actually, I think, th well, no, just two people. And then Nils, 
uh, apparently like one night years afterwards and basically it sounded like a hotel bar. Uh-huh. He drunkenly confessed to some random lady. It's like, well, why would he do that if he was right. innocent? And then that guy, if I didn't make it really clear in the story, that guy who was the former Nazi, KG, Ruben to be KGB, mm-hmm. you know, it was when he came into that hospital covered in what looked like blood, mm-hmm. that was, uh, you know, early in the morning after the attacks, like like it was, it, it would it timed out perfectly. Right, right. Like right. if he would have attacked them at those tents and then went to the hospital later that night, early the next morning, that would have been when he, you know, th- that's the timing there. I can't believe they didn't keep his clothing for testing. Yeah, it, it does sound. There's a lot of like uh, critical sites or articles out there about the Finnish police. I don't know um, what protocol was in 1960. Not good. Not good, and I, and I don't think there were a lot of these. I think the, I think the violent crime rate was very very low. I bet it still is, and yeah, probably still is. And it, it seems to me not to be stereotypical, but like um, kind of like small town, mm-hmm. you know, bumbling kind of cops who like are, they're not used to violent crime. It's like they might have like a, a domestic disturbance call they have to respond to sometimes, but nothing like this. No, they they just didn't know what to do. Yep, just didn't know what to do. The yeah, it doesn't it sound like a lot of mistakes were made, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate for the victims' families mm-hmm. because not having those answers is so unsettling. You don't you yeah. ever get that sense of closure or any sort of peace around it. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible. It sounds like a Awful, awful murder. And the red eyes thing is interesting where that's when um, that that it does come from records where right after, you know, the murders happened and they get the one survivor nails, you know, when they're asking, like, what do you remember? Mm-hmm. The last thing he remembered was seeing red eyes before all like in the darkness coming towards him before all the carnage started. That's a weird detail. That is a weird that it is very specific as well. <laughs> right. That, I don't feel like that's a common Detail like if Mm -hmm. you're guilty and you committed these murders and you're looking for an alibi, um, historically the demon did it (laughs) has not been a good alibi. That has not gotten a lot of people uh, out of guilty sentences. I can't believe that it took them four decades to decide that they wanted to prosecute him. Yeah, that's a uh, something about that doesn't sit well with me. And it was because, and just to make that more clear, it was uh, based on his shoes what they're able to determine was that the blood of it was something about the time like 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 I think it was the blood of the three people who died were on his shoes but not his blood which made them think that maybe he had committed the murders mm, like and the splatter. shoes were yeah and the shoes were found a ways away then taken the shoes dumped them off then came back then hurt himself to get bloody then waited for the police to show up how do you break your own jaw I know. And the gash, I mean, you could, that last picture of him, I don't know if it shows up super well, but there's a, a pretty nasty scar across his forehead. Yeah. Like it was a severe gash across his forehead. And that seems like an extreme injury to inflict upon yourself to try to not look as guilty. Like he could have died from that. You right, know, right, right. Seems very risky. Well, and also if that's the thing, then it's like, well... What is the, where is the knife? Mm-hmm. Where's the or, or the item that he used to do that? And what's right. the angle? Because the angle of you doing it yourself versus oh, someone else man. doing it yeah. would be very different. Yeah, and I don't think they had the forensics types, uh, uh, experienced forensic experts right. to to make those determinations when things happened. Mm-hmm. And then also, what's interesting to me is the uh, the sighting of the the guy with the long blonde hair. Mm-hmm. That description didn't feel uh, didn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Gustafson, that right, Nils right. guy. It didn't fit him. There we go. 
And so, okay, but that that's weird. So there was just some other random dude. Mm-hmm. And that description did fit the guy who showed up in the hospital bloody. Mm-hmm. And then another super weird thing that I did mention was if these bird watchers, they're going to have bin- bin- uh, binoculars. But they were kids. They're kids, but they said they saw it. And it's just weird. Maybe they were afraid of getting in trouble. Yeah. But it's like, okay, if you saw somebody walking away from that tent, you, you're going to also be able to see a lot of carnage. You can't see him, I don't think, the way it was all described, yeah. and not see the carnage. And then the last thing, too, or another thing, too, was the um, the guy, the the, the cranky guy mm-hmm. that ran the, the, I don't kiosk know, guy. the fish pie stand or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the kiosk guy nearby. Well, why wouldn't you? Okay, so he drowned in the lake. They didn't say they didn't find his body. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you get some kind of DNA of his remains? Right, maybe zoom. not. Maybe they're too rotten. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and then also like this well that he dug. Yeah, and I'm couldn't like, you like dig, dig into that well? More? Mm-hmm. I know, I know. There feels like a lot of like, eh. Uh, yeah. Meh. Right. Yeah, yeah. They didn't seem very interested actually in solving the case. If it takes you four mm. decades to bring in Gustafsson, it's like, oh, yeah. obviously, this is not high on your priority list. Yeah. Um, I was I was working on stories last night, and I'm kind of bummed now because yeah. I would have had a story that would have so... Like, oh, it would have paired well oh, with this one? it would have been such a nice compliment. I'll tell it next week in oh. episode 118. Is it mm-hmm. 17? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 118. Uh, about some friends who go, um, I wouldn't call it camping, but they're just like in a, in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere and lots of eyes out in the mountains. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's always so creepy. So creepy. Oh, God. It's the end of that story. Ooh. I had to put my, I was like, okay, I'll look at that again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's too much. Ay, ay, ay. Eat you out. Okay, well, um, if you're ready, let's travel from Finland to England, mm-hmm. from Helsinki to London. Let's do it. Right after today's sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. 
And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Who doesn't love a little special something, a gourmet cupcake from your favorite bakery or a lovely bottle of wine? Do you ever splurge on a massage or an expensive meal? If you treat yourself to the best of the best when it comes to the things you enjoy, why would you settle for less when it comes to your health? Your health should be a top priority. I mean, you have one body to get you through this entire life. Why not treat that body to the best? ZocDoc is the place you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. Don't settle for anything but the best because you deserve the best. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. I've been battling some insane heartburn lately. I tried all the -the over-the-counter things, cut out spicy food, alcohol, but I just can't seem to get any relief. After speaking with my family doctor, he suggested I see a gastroenterologist. Knowing I could find an amazing doctor within seconds on ZocDoc, I went to their website, entered my zip code and insurance information, and began to scroll the reviews of all the available doctors in my area that could help me find a solution to my problem. And I did it all in just a few clicks. So easy. Go to ZocDoc.com scared and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C doc.com slash scared zocdoc.com slash scared thanks for listening to our sponsor deals creeps and peepers and now for the second story okay i love london me I lo- too <laughs> yeah so this is a, a cool uh, setting here for this story we should go there together yes it's such a just it's so a much great. history mm-hmm. so much history in the city and i mean like the classic haunted house look does kind of well it does come from england yeah that victorian look mm-hmm. and there's so much victorian architecture in london i mean it just has the feel of like oh there's a lot of ghosts here yeah oh we, we need to go to manchester mm, i've never been it's so great so great i love it at christmas 50 berkeley square is a beautiful big townhouse in Mayfair, London, an affluent area of the West End near the eastern edge of Hyde Park. One of the most expensive real estate districts in the world, actually. Yet no one lives at 50 Berkeley Square. It's currently owned and has been for quite some time by Mags Brothers Limited, well-known sellers of extremely rare and valuable books. And the location not open to the public. Why? Maybe the space is now reserved for dangerous occult literature. They chose to store in a place already haunted. Excuse me. Maybe the owners can't in good conscience sell it in the, sell the home to someone who may try and live there again. If all the stories are true, a lot of former residents have lost their lives in a very disturbing and strange in, in very disturbing and strange ways at this address. Time now for the tale of the Berkeley Square Horror. Built in the early 17th century by architect William Kent, the house has had quite the colorful history. It's had the reputation of being one of, if not the most haunted house in all of London since the late 1700s. The attic especially seems to be the epicenter of an unusual amount of reported activity for one house. The origin of the haunted stories seemed to begin in the mid-19th century, at least the ones we know currently, with the suicide of an unnamed young woman. 
throwing herself from the attic window after years of being abused by an uncle. Rumors quickly spread of her ghost haunting the attic, heard wailing and crying throughout the night, her appearance one of such intense anguish and pain and rage that just the mere sight of her could, according to legend, literally scare one to death. Much more tragedy and horror would follow this alleged death in the attic of 50 Berkeley Square over the ensuing decades. The next reported death, supposedly that of a young boy, who, as an exceptionally cruel punishment, was locked in the attic, receiving food only through a hole in the door. Jesus. How long the child remained in that room is not known, but as the story goes, he slowly went mad, and then perhaps tormented by the ghost up there with him. One night that he died, his face frozen in the horror of his last moments. After this, there was said to be a young girl who, after getting on the last nerve of a sadistic servant, was allegedly murdered also in the attic. And ever since, some have claimed to see her ghost in the attic and in the stairway that leads to it. After the death of British statesman George Canning, briefly a prime minister who lived in the house until 1827, the house sat empty for years. Rumors of the large, expensive house being haunted made it hard to move. In 1859, the house was finally sold to a man named Thomas Myers, who soon added to the address's dark legend. Thomas purchased the house for himself and his soon-to-be new wife. However, his fiancée jilted him at the altar, leaving him heartbroken. Thomas moved into the house alone and became a complete recluse. It said he locked himself in the attic, felt drawn to it, and there he suffered a slow descent into complete madness. His family, greatly concerned for his physical and mental well-being, had him removed from the home and placed into a nursing home, where he soon died in 1874. Shortly after he left the home, a nobleman by the name of Lord Littleton stayed in the house for a night under the pretense of some sort of bet with his friends to prove the house wasn't haunted. He, of course, slept in the attic, and he was awoken during the middle of the night by loud noises. As he opened his eyes, he saw a human-like figure, and after shouting a warning, fired his shotgun at it a couple times. He proceeded then to search the whole house, and when he couldn't find a wounded or dead body with him anywhere, he concluded that the house was indeed haunted and that he had shot at a ghost. Soon after this, the house was vacated, and it, felt, uh, and it fell into quite the state of disrepair for a time. An ever-growing list of hauntings made it more unappealing than ever for anyone who may have wanted to purchase it. While it was vacant, neighbors continued to hear signs of a haunting. They claimed to hear noises in the night coming from the attic, including screams. Also, people reported random objects, such as books, pennies, and stones, flying out of the attic window and onto the street below. Okay. All of this led to more curious thrill-seekers requesting to stay the night. In 1879, local nobleman Ca Captain Kentfield and one of his maids and a few friends all decided to do just that. Kentfield and his maid were both dead by morning. On arrival, he allegedly instructed the maid to go up and make a bed for him, and just a few minutes later, heard her let out a blood-curdling scream. The other persons present rushed to her aid, found her rolling around on the floor of the attic with a petrified look on her face, pleading, Don't let it touch me! And then she just died. Kentfield supposedly still spent the night in the attic, and when he went to bed, the others present retired downstairs. Just a few minutes after being left alone, his friends heard a terrible scream and the sound of a gunshot. When they ran up, he was found dead on the floor, the gun in his hand, but no wound to his body, his face twisted in terror. It seemed as if he had shot at something and then died of fright. Not long after yet another strange death, two adventurous sailors snuck into the home. Chanting to walk through Berkeley Square, they saw the for sale sign outside number 50, broke in to maybe do some ghost hunting, definitely get some free lodge hunting, or free lodging. 
Settling themselves into the rooms on the top floor right beneath the attic, they were disturbed during the night first by banging noises above them, like doors slamming, then by footsteps that seemed to slither and slide up the stairs and approach the door of the room the two men were occupying, like something was coming down from the attic to greet them. After a moment, the door handle turned something shapeless and horrible, its only recognizable visible feature, a wide open mouth pressed into the room. One of the sailors dodged past the shuddering mass, fled down the stairs, out of the house, deaf to the screams of his terrified companion. Dashing into the arms of a policeman who chanced to be passing, the frightened man blurted out his story. The policeman proceeded to then search the house. The officer saw no sign of any ghost, but he did discover the body of the other sailor, dead in the garden, his neck broken. It appeared he had fallen or been pushed from an upstairs window, and then in addition to his broken neck, his body was impaled on a spiked railing yet another victim of the house. Finally, in 1912, a lady named Jessie A. Middleton reported seeing the ghost of a small boy in the house. She believed the apparition to be the ghost of the young boy who had been locked in the attic. She said he still seemed incredibly frightened, appeared to be crying and wringing his hands together. No additional deaths or phenomena have been reported since the house was bought by the Mags brothers in the late 1930s. Are the ghosts now quiet? Or are the Mags brothers just not sharing any more of their stories. Oh, that's it? That's it. Oh, I thought that we were going to get some stories. But I guess they're just keeping it all mm-hmm. under lock. They're keeping it all they're keeping it all quiet. Oh man. No, since they uh yeah, since they bought it, uh people aren't allowed in. Hmm. And so, and the the people who work for the Mag Brothers don't seem to be talking about it. That's interesting. I, you, did you do any research on the Mags Brothers? Um, just interesting antique booksellers. I mean, I did look at their okay, website. Yeah, I'm just so curious who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, they 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 sell like, uh, you know, uh, anything from a letter or a postcard written by some, you know recently dead author or something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. to things that are, you know, first printing of some wow. Dickens book. I mean, th- they'll sell things that are worth, you know, millions of pounds, you know, like like, yeah. like the most rare, the most expensive books. They're a very interesting little uh, business and they've been around for quite some time. I'm fascinated by first edition books. Yeah. 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 Like manuscripts. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, letters of correspondence between like uh, famous authors and not necessarily just authors, heads of state, whatever. Yeah. They just uh, have quite the collection. And I don't even think. How do you even get those things? Uh, estate sales, uh, auctions yeah, of those yeah, things. Okay. And I feel like their website has uh, had some cool details, but I feel like it's the kind of business where if you really wanted to find out like the super crazy shit they have, mm-hmm. you'd have to call. They would have to know you have the kind of money to be right. able to acquire something like that. You have to set up an appointment, go there. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole protocol for being able to get inside that building. Mm-hmm. It feels like, um, like I'm sure the they Kingsman, don't want... yeah, like, like yeah. a very like secret club kind yep. of thing. And then I think of like, a, I can't place the movie, but. It's not Harry Potter, I don't think, because that I'm not into that. But there's like a, you know, is it like the 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 clock keeper or something, the timekeeper? Oh, I, mean, I didn't it's see like it, a, like but a I know big what you're about. old library, yeah. um, not not library, a uh, bookstore in uh-huh. London with like multiple floors and the the ladder that goes back right. and forth. Yep. You know, like I yeah. have such a specific vision. And then like the shopkeeper with the uh-huh. monocle and it's like a little bit cranky. Oh man, it does show up, dang it! And now. I want to say Assassin's Creed, yeah. but, but this address yeah. is actually the the setting in a popular video game series. Oh, interesting. And, and the still shots, I didn't include any of them. I think it's one of the Assassin's Creed um, shows the exact scene you're describing, like the big ladder, yeah. you're moving across. But it's like at some point in the narrative of one of those games, you get to go inside.
kid and, you know, talk to them and stuff. But it it has the feel of a place where, like, they don't want you to know what kind of books they have. I know. Well, I bet they also have things that they shouldn't have. Possibly. You know. Uh, Nazi occult mm-hmm. kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah, it's very interesting. The world of, like, art collectors and mm-hmm. artifact collectors. It's a very interesting world. Very interesting. And I always find it fascinating. Because I think that we forget that there are so many people in the world that are so wealthy that we've never heard of. Right. Right. And those are the people that I think are buying those things. Like you're not hearing about yeah. like the Kardashians becoming, you know, big collectors of, you know, fine art. Yeah. They're not trying to hunt down XYZ. I'm just using them as an example because we all know they have so much money. Uh, but it's like, you know, some, you know, person in upstate New York mm-hmm. whose parents, you know, it goes back to oil money. Like you're right. like, the you know the so and so's you're like I'm sorry the who and you find out they have all this money and then they have all these cool yeah things I'm just picturing somebody now some like fascinating person who has like some secret library oh so cool and then they have like you know like supposedly dangerous or whatever but like old occult literature well and things let's yeah. not do that yeah uh, let me a few pictures what a cool way to spend your money if you have a ton of money yeah right just so interesting mm-hmm. okay sorry. This, this is a picture uh, of 50 Berkeley Square at night. Okay. And, and again, you can't, I mean, I don't have any pictures of the interior because they would have been so old. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I couldn't find anyone, you know, finding them easily, again, because they just don't let people in. Sure. Uh, this is a picture of the home from across the street, uh, you know, from this little park in the in the center of the square with that cool statue of looks like some kind of Greek goddess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a cool, just little, yep, just... And, and, and I've never been to this Mayfair, this neighborhood. Yeah. But apparently it is very hoity-toity. Like old houses, old money, yeah. very expensive. Yeah, I think the most expensive neighborhood, I don't even know if it it felt expensive, was Notting Hill. And I don't mm. know where Notting Hill is in relationship to Hyde Park. But we, I would just remember like we had this incredible dinner mm-hmm. at this like little hole in the wall. But like you know, it was one of those kinds of places that I feel like only exists in London because I... It's the only place I experienced this where so many times yeah. we would be like in a neighborhood walking down the street and then on the corner was a pub or a really exquisite restaurant that you're like, oh, dang, like what's mm-hmm. this doing here smashed in between three houses? You know, it's just a different kind of layout. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I just loved everything about it. Interesting world with a history where it's like you go into some restaurant and they have like paintings of old aristocrats and things and then those people actually used to eat there yeah and it's a place that like wouldn't they don't advertise mm-hmm. it's like if you know you know and their clientele is just like old money old mm-hmm. power yeah uh, one more just a cool sketch of the home uh i just thought yeah. this was a uh, nice and spooky mm-hmm. it's so interesting that they don't want to let anybody in they well, don't want to write any articles they don't want to I don't think they need it. No, no, they don't need yeah. to. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of the the lure of it also mm. is that it's like, well, you can't come in here. We won't tell you what you have, but you have to be a certain caliber of client to come in here and see what we have. And that does drive interest. Of course it does. You know, absolutely. I mean, because it, it, it makes me more interested if I just can't find anything about it. It's like, well, right. now I want to know more about it. Well, I want to know who they are. Who are the Mags brothers? Right, I'm sure. Is is that actually their name? Is it a group of people? Is it a secret society? What is it? Well, they've been around a lot. I mean, I can't. I mean, I'm just pulling this out of my ass a little bit, but I know that they have had that location since the 1930s, and I know they've been around longer than that. Mm -hmm. So, like the original Mags Brothers, long dead. Right, but there are these like they're great. I don't know if it's still in the family. Yeah, right. Ah, so interesting. Mm -hmm. I love cool stuff like that. It's its own kind of 
mystery yeah. and has its own sort of like spoopy feeling. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up because I'm going to oh. look up Max Brothers while you're uh, getting started. Well, now I'm curious too and I bet I, people listening are also curious. They're probably also curious. I'm not going to start because as much as I love you, you're a terrible multitasker. So if I start telling my story, you won't actually be listening and you won't get the details. So established in 1853, 1853, Mags Brothers Limited is one of the world's largest antiquarian booksellers. Uh huh. Oh, it makes me think of you. That's what I'm flashing on. That is what you're thinking of. Yes. yes. I mean, that's a different kind of bookstore, but yeah. Does anybody watching that show? I love it. <laughs> yeah. Established uh, by Uriah Mags, born huh. in 1828. And he looks like a dude. Just oh, a, yeah. He basically looks like me. Uh, he does. He does. With uh, all his hair is white, and he's got his suit on. And he's a little bit rounder. And he's a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm heading that direction. Currently. No, you're not. Uh, after several failed business ventures, Mags took up bookselling, founding Mags Brothers Limited. He traded first from his own home, later first uh, uh, his first bookshop in 1855 in Paddington. Hmm. Ran a circulating library, hired out newspapers, and then uh, yeah, they just moved to a few more places. Now their main site is. Uh, Oh, no, the Paddington site is occupied by a children's hospital. Mm. He retired in 1894, left the business in the hands of his two elder sons, Benjamin and Henry. And uh, it still is. Okay, it's still uh, run by the Mags family. Okay, interesting. Well, yeah. there you have it. Yep. I spent about one hour in Paddington. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I remember my girlfriend and I were like, okay, well, we have to go there. Like, you have to find the bear. We have to find the bear. So we went. We took the tube. Did you see him wandering around with his little raincoat on? Yes, we did. He's so cute. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we bought him a beer. He yeah, he talked to you. He's friendly. Mm-hmm, he's super friendly. First, remember, we went. We took the tube. We took a picture in front of the you know the stupid sign, popped off, had fish and chips, got back on, and we were like, right back into town. Check did it. Exactly. Yep. I was like, I don't know why anyone else is going there. I have no idea. Well, now maybe for that. Yeah. It sounds like there's maybe a good hospital there, but I didn't know that, nor did I care. I do love that checklist kind of thing where I remember doing that. Uh, I had one trip in... When I was uh, in college, I had like a week in Europe and I uh, I had this Eurorail pass I'd bought like six months before. And I mean, I'd saved up, you know, money for this trip like that for like a year yeah. and had a very limited budget. It was yeah. like I had my backpack on. I, I would sleep. I did it so economically looking back. I didn't get any hotels. Uh-huh. I would just sleep going to the next place. I would just sleep in the train going to the next place and wake up the next spot. And I would just eat almost only uh, baguettes uh-huh. and blocks of cheese. Uh-huh. And then just, you know, water, whatever. And I remember I was in Paris and I only had like a couple hours with my itinerary to be there. And just, I wanted to do the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. So by myself, I just took the little metro over there, got out, hoofed it to the top. <laughs> uh, pre-digital camera had one of those, like where you wind the disposable cameras, yeah. click, click, click. And then selfie and then huffed it back down. Like it was the quickest, like, okay, I made it to the top. Uh, I'm going to take proof, a picture that's proof that I'm here and I'm going to get the hell out. Funny. <laughs> just to say I did it. He did it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually explored Paris that yeah. much. And I would love to go. One of my oldest friends, Rosa, was born and raised in Paris. And I would love mm. to go with her because she has such a different understanding of the city. Yeah. I only spent some time in the south of France where I ate a lot of pate. And now I ah. cannot stand it. It's like liver, goose liver oh, or duck so liver or something. it's so gross. It's so gross. And I remember at the time, like, the people that I was with, we were with this group of, like, 20 people. And they were just feeding it to me. And I was like, this is so good. What is this? And no one would tell me. And then when they told me. Is it I, liver? I think so. I think yeah. it's like a um, like a paste of liver, you know, <laughs> like like tomato yeah. paste. But mm-hmm. and, and now I've like tried to order it 
No, it wasn't pate. It was foie gras. That's foie gras. What, that is the liver, the fat, the yes, goose liver yes, fat or whatever. And I ate so much of it and I loved it on crackers and I went to town and turns out I hate it. <laughs> but I mean, I loved it then. It's funny how you can yeah. immerse yourself in an experience so deeply mm-hmm. that it that that thing is only good in that moment. Well, I could be your tour guide there because I mean, I spent hours there. Uh, you know, uh, old native like me. We, we yeah. actually say Paris. Oh. Mm-hmm. We don't call it Paris, you know, when, okay. you, when you've been there a lot. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, are you ready to come back to the States? I am. <laughs> okay. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Oh, boy. Here we go. Do you have anything else? Do you need to talk about, like, baguettes or... Uh, I don't. I don't. Okay. I didn't I, know if you were going to let uh, out. I am fighting the urge to be like, ha, 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 ha. There you yeah, go. Just to get some stereotypical bad French uh, stereotype accent out. Do you out feel of better system. now? I do, actually. Okay. What kind of squishy squish do you have this week? Uh, Layla. Oh, Layla. I got an email from somebody that was like, seriously, though, where do you get those? I was like, I, they just come to us. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's an Amazon thing, but I don't know. Maybe they come from the from hell. Maybe. Maybe they're devil squishies. Ooh, nice. Very nice. Okay. Well... Diving into my side of the story, um, this uh, this haunted house, uh, you know, it's it's not even that it was like the scariest of stories, but I just thought about this idea of like living in a haunted house and like how it would feel and then like constant confirmation and, you know, like there are these moments that we've talked about on the show where it's like, okay, that feels very real. That feels mm-hmm. very plausible. And we haven't had a story like that in a while where we're just kind of trying to back up all these various sort of claims. Yes. So I don't know. I, w- I was thinking about like what stories make me give me the most pause of like, okay, yeah, that that feels viable, yeah. you know? And I don't know. Do you have any like off the top of your head? Like what would give you either a, a story that you read or something that you'd experience yourself that would really make you feel like, okay, that feels that feels pretty fucking real to me. Mm, I mean, the stories, it's so hard. It's like you just kind of like know it when you come across it. Mm-hmm. It's not any one kind of story. Okay. It's just the way it's kind of told. Mm. You know, multiple witnesses always makes me feel like a little more inclined to believe it. But also, yeah. I'm just trusting this person says there's multiple witnesses. It's not like I'm going to interview any of the people who tell these stories. Right. So I don't, I don't actually know that there was multiple witnesses. True. It's all a big trust game. Yeah. Uh, and, and then for like the experience, uh, I mean... I I, th- I think part of it part of it would be feeling, but I mean, I mean, and again, I think about my lame little mini encounter at the Rainbow Room that I mm-hmm. talked about a few times on the show. But I would want as scary as it would be, I would want something more intense where there's like, okay, let's say you feel the cold spots mm-hmm. and you see something that you just can't reason away. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you see something kind of like move across the room, mm-hmm. like like an ashtray comes up off the table, goes across the room, slams into the wall, no one's near it, mm-hmm. and you see a shadow figure. Then like, oh, walk. you need both. I'm just saying, ideally, if I saw a combination of things where I'm like the odds of me visually hallucinating, the odds of uh, uh, of this thing, of, of not being able to explain how this thing's broken. Okay, look, let's say you just see the visual. Mm-hmm. I could then try to reason it away later and be like, yeah, well, uh, I had something that happened to my brain that made me just like think I saw something. And the same with the cold spot. Okay, something happened and I'm just, I, I just manufactured it. I imagined it. But then if somebody like were to come in the room and I'm nowhere near where this ashtray was and it's now in pieces across the room, mm-hmm. like for an encounter where I'm by myself... That would be, okay, that's irrefutable now. Mm-hmm. Even better than that, I guess, in a perfect situation, everything happens that I just described, and there's somebody else 
maybe two other people, let's say, at least in the room with me. Hmm. If I saw something with multiple people, there's physical evidence of something being broken, we all saw something impossible happen, then undoubtable. Okay, okay. Well, it's interesting like how different you and I feel about things because obviously I spend a lot of time with my crystals. <laughs> right, yeah. And I... I waver sometimes where I'm like, am I making this up? Am I imagining this? Or am I opening myself up to the possibility? And is that mm -hmm. why this is happening? But I recently went on a girl's trip with a couple of my girlfriends and there was a lot of crystal pendulum tarot card. And it, it did, there were quite a few things that happened that I was like, okie dokie, feeling hmm. pretty, pretty confident in this. Okay. Um, but, but, and, and they were both there and they're both more open to it and like there wasn't a skeptic in the room i yes. guess i what would have been interesting in that moment would be to have someone like you like if i were to show up would i kill the vibe well what could you just sit and watch and observe mm. without judgment and just say like oh no like i see what's happening here they're just you know egging each other on and that they're not seeing what they think they see because i'm sitting here and i don't see it yeah although spirits can show up to one person and not the other, hmm. right? I mean, it's not like everybody sees the same thing. Yeah, according to all this, uh, the totality of the stories we've looked at, that for sure seems like a possibility. Yeah. Well, this this story, uh, there's like uh, some details that really tie in at the end, and I think it makes it so interesting uh, how it how it ties together. I love when the beginning finds its way to the end, and you're like, oh, okay. You do like a neat ending. I, I do like things tied up, mm -hmm. bow on top. You Done. do. I do. I really, really, really do. All right. So we have a, this great story coming from our fan, Anna. She says, Dan and Lindsay, the house I grew up in was haunted. I don't know any other way to say it other than to just say it. My whole life, I would see a little blonde girl sitting on the corner of my parents' bed. The way the house was set up, I would see her out of the corner of my eye as I would walk into my bedroom. But if I ever got the balls to actually look into their room... I wouldn't see her. So I'd always assumed it was just a trick of the light because that corner of the bed was right next to their window. Yes, I stupidly ignored her. The mysteriously opening cabinets, the noises in my closet, the TV that would randomly turn on, and the sense of dread I've often feel in my house, and the items that would move on their own, witnessed by other people. I ignored all of this, but one day I could ignore it no more. It was during one summer during my high school years, and I was at home babysitting my little sister. I was in the living room when she came running into the living room screaming, Anna, Anna, oh my God. I was just walking out of my room and I saw a little blonde girl sitting on mom and dad's bed, staring out the window. I grabbed her and told her we would just grab some of her toys and bring them into the living room and stay there until mom and dad got home. And we did just that. When mom got home, we, re we relayed what had happened. My mom looked confused at first, but that's when I told her that I'd seen this little girl for as long as I could remember. She brought us into my sister's room to prove that everything was okay. And as we were talking, my kitten wandered into my bedroom and almost immediately bolted back down the hall so fast that she was nothing but a gray blur. And that terrified my mother because she said, quote, animals, especially cats, are way more sensitive to spirits than people are. My mother decided to call my aunt, who's very much into the metaphysical, and during the conversation... I heard my mom tell my aunt a story I had never heard. A few years prior, my mother was outside on the front porch when she noticed a neighborhood kid and a friend walk out from our backyard. This neighborhood kid was known to us because he'd had a crush on me in middle school and I wasn't interested. 
My mom heard the rumor about him being into darker pastimes. He'd wear very satanic clothing to school and got concerned that he was retaliating from my rejection a few years earlier. My mom went into the backyard and after searching for some time, found a pentagram made of rocks. All of the grass inside of the rocks had been burned. My mom quickly said a prayer and rearranged those rocks into a cross. For full disclosure, I don't think that that pentagram caused anything because I saw the girl long before they did this. However, I think in those boys' ignorance, they may have accidentally stirred up things they had no knowledge of. My aunt agreed to come over the next night to cleanse the house. That night was a night I'll never forget. I couldn't sleep due to the overpowering dread I felt in my room, but I did finally manage to roll over on my side, my back facing my closet, and fall asleep. I was awoken at some point when I felt small hands run their fingers uh. through my hair. I immediately turned over on my back and tried to scream, but I couldn't. I laid there for what felt like an eternity while I tried to scream until the sound finally came out. My dad ran into my room while I cried. He woke up my sister and brought her into my room to sleep with me. She immediately fell back asleep on my bed, but I was wide awake. I eventually started to drift off. And as soon as I did, the foot of my mattress dropped down. My sister and I sat up at the same time, both screaming. Both of my parents came running into my room and told the both of us to sleep in bed with them. And the four of us crawled into bed, uh, crawled into my parents' bed to sleep. I had a dream that night that didn't feel like a dream. It was almost like I was watching a movie. In my dream, I saw the little blonde girl. Remember, at this point, we're all in my parents' room where I always saw the girl. The little girl was in one of those pre-Civil War one-room schoolhouses and was standing up on her desk with her hands on her hip, telling off a teacher for something, though I couldn't actually hear what she was saying. The teacher, the teacher told the little girl to sit in the corner and put on the dunce cap, which the girl obliged and went and sat in the corner. I noticed that the corner she sat in was next to a window, and in this dream, the girl was looking out of the window, just like she always had when I would see her in my parents' room. The next evening, my aunt came over. After walking all through my house, she proclaimed that the closet in my room was some kind of portal, which made sense because I'd always heard noises from there. My aunt sat on my bed and began talking to the spirits, and she relayed to us part of the conversations we couldn't hear. Apparently, there were multiple children haunting our house. My aunt asked them why they were there, and they said it was because that they liked the house and they especially liked my room. My aunt said that she asked them to leave, and they refused. My aunt said that if they wouldn't leave willingly, she would have to force them to leave. According to my aunt, they began to loudly protest and kiss her on the cheek to convince her to let them stay. My aunt lit two sticks of sage, gave one to my mother, and the two of them carried the sage and crucifixes through our house, repeating a banishment prayer and the Lord's Prayer. My, my aunt yelled at me to open the front door to allow them to leave, and as I did so, she and my mom ushered the little children towards the door. My aunt successfully made it out the door, but as my mother was approaching the door, she completely froze. Her whole body seized up, but her eyes darted from side to side. She looked absolutely terrified. I was screaming at her, but it was like she couldn't hear me. She remained that way for a few moments, but finally somehow broke free and ran out the door to the middle of the front yard. She would tell us later that one of the children had wrapped themselves completely around her and wouldn't let her go. They kept whispering in her ear, don't make me leave. I don't want to oh leave. Oh my God. 
My mother, unable to move or speak, kept repeating the Lord's Prayer until they let her go, and that's when she ran out the door. My aunt declared the house cleansed, but I had my doubts. Within a few days, I saw the little blonde girl again, but as per usual, I didn't say anything. My room seemed quieter, but I still felt dread going in there. Three years later, I moved out of the house and into my first college apartment at the local, very major university that you may have heard of. (laughs) We're fairly decent at football, and our team even just made a trip to the White House. Wink, wink. (laughs) Story over now that I've moved out, right? Not quite. About a year after I moved out, I had to have surgery. My parents wanted me to stay with them after my surgery, and I refused to stay in that house without my boyfriend. My parents, being old-fashioned, wouldn't let us sleep in the same room, and I flat-out refused to sleep in my old bedroom. My boyfriend slept in my old room, and I stayed in my room in my sister's room with her. The next morning, he came into the bedroom where I was with my sister and my mom, who'd come to check on me. He looked completely freaked out. I asked him what was wrong, and he didn't want to say. I asked him if he saw something, and that's when he shared that he'd woken up in the middle of the night because he felt like someone was watching him. When he opened his eyes, he saw a little brown-haired girl lying in the bed next to him. Oh, my God. Smiling. He blinked his eyes, thinking he was still half asleep. And when he opened his eyes fully, the little girl was still there and started blinking her own eyes at him, clearly thinking they were playing some kind of game. This happened a few times until the girl finally disappeared and he somehow fell back asleep. After that night, he would never go back to my parents' house. (laughs) My parents eventually divorced five years after that night and moved out of the house. I've since moved all over the country, and on one of my trips back home, my mother and I were in a local Target and saw our old next-door neighbor. We stopped to talk to her, and she told us about the multitude of people who had moved in and out of our old house, none of which stayed longer than a year or so, and all of which had been very local about the happenings in the house. One of the residents had told our neighbor about digging around in the attic and finding an old school book with a pre-Civil War date written in it. I cannot confirm the validity of this book or what they did with the book, but I did find that tidbit fascinating. Love love the podcast and also keep on sucking. Thank you, Anna. Thanks, Anna. I love that last detail that like, because she thought it seemed like an old Civil War schoolhouse, like in mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. in her mind's eye, and then to find that book uh-huh. and it, that the schoolhouse or the house was full of children spirits, right, like right. that gave me such satisfaction of like, okay, you're not crazy. Yeah. Oh man, that that one detail about the boyfriend like waking up to have, like the little girl laying in bed next to him smiling. Yeek. What's worse, that or cold little fingers running through your hair? I thought you were going to say clown next to you in bed oh, and clown no. be worse. But the. Uh, <laughs> that is true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. A clown lying next to you with like his oh, big, creepy ass grin. Yeah, that'd be Yeek. terrible. This guy, this guy right here. Yeah. Ugh. He just a violation joins you? just to, to be in bed with you. I know. And, and then uh, I, I think the laying bed next to me would be scarier than the little hands running through my hair. Okay, because maybe like little hands through your hair, I could like, oh, like what are the dogs doing? Or like maybe mm-hmm. I'm or dreaming like or bug or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bugs in the bed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, bugs definitely feel like they're running their fingers through my hair. <laughs> um, I was thinking uh, during this story, like a uh, weird thought where like we don't know anything really about this world uh, that we're always telling these stories about. Yeah. So much mystery. 
and I was I was feeling like bad for the kids. We're like, okay, what if there's this other world out there? We don't know the rules, and then there's a bunch of kids like spirits or whatever like hanging out in this house, but they're not causing any problems, and they're not evil or you know um, malevolent, nothing, and mm-hmm. they just like to be there. And then, but then there's other places in their little world on the other side that are bad. Oh. And, and what if when we're like banishing them, we're like doing like a house cleansing and putting out the sage? We're sending these poor little kid spirits off to this fucking horrific place. Oh no! Where it's like that's why they're like please please don't send me out of here I'll be good please please leave me alone and then we Aww. banish him and what if they go to some terrible place that's so sad mm-hmm. Doesn't that's make- what I was saying about my dresser remember oh yeah, yeah. little kid I don't saying. know I don't know where they're gonna go next right. I'd rather be chilling in my closet than ship them off to somewhere terrible right I yeah. disagree but I hear what you're saying mm-hmm. I hear you I, I still want to ship them off <laughs> it's, it's their problem to deal with uh, well you know when shit gets hard in my life, nobody's sweeping in to save me. So Ooh, huh. I feel like, sorry, guys, you got to go. Yes, our kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of clowns, in your in your worst case scenario, yeah. what is like the very worst place that you could encounter a creepy clown apparition? Hmm. Not Not like somebody dressed up at a haunted house scares you like, oh, that was so scary. No, like creepy ass thing. What's the most vulnerable awful place that that could happen is it sleeping and you wake I up and it's think next to you so i think I th- i'm trying to think of like worst place would probably be uh i'm out on the road i'm in a hotel room oh, by myself oh okay and uh i'm sleeping naked and i roll over in bed and then all of a sudden pa like there's a clown right there laying in bed with me in this room where i'm by myself mm-hmm. that would be terrible okay um another place would be I think that would be terrible because it's going to be at night. I was going to say the shower. I'm coming out of the shower. I'm putting the shower curtains aside, going to grab a towel, and then there's a clown standing right outside the shower. Okay, well. That would be terrible. Hold on to that thought, my friend. Ugh. I'm about to fuck you up. Yee. Oh, boy. You are going to freak out. And also, there's crystals in this story. Mm. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay. Hello, lovelies. My sister introduced me to this podcast a while ago, and I've been obsessed ever since. I always listen while working, and all of my coworkers think I'm listening to music. If only they knew the truth. (laughs) Thanks always for making scary stories fun and my days a bit more enjoyable. Here is my story. Thank you. Growing up, I quickly learned the things I saw and experienced were not normal. I spent most of my adolescence coping with the noises I heard, feelings I was overwhelmed with, and the figures I saw. I, of course, did not tell anyone about these occurrences, as I believed my family would think I was crazy. That was until my sister asked my mother about the woman in the house. That's a story for another time. My mother began to tell us about her own supernatural experiences growing up and the reasoning behind her apprehension to to Ouija boards and the supernatural. This gave me comfort that I was, in fact, not crazy and was experiencing the supernatural world firsthand. It first began with my closet door, opening and closing during the night. I was a child at this time, and obviously I just covered myself in a blanket to protect me from the things in my closet. This escalated to the door opening and closing, the light turning on and off, and small paths through my dirty floors to my bed being made. I never lifted the blanket. It was almost like they noticed me. I unknowingly... Uh, I never lifted that blanket. It was almost like they'd noticed me. I unknowingly made it apparent that I could see them or hear them, and that changed everything. One thing you should know is if you notice them, they will notice you. 
I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who lived extremely close to St. Augustine. Due to this, we spent a lot of my childhood in and around the old town. One particular time my family and I had been walking around the fort, we ended up in front of the old schoolhouse. I suddenly felt so cold and so scared. I immediately started crying for seemingly no reason. I looked up, knowing this feeling was emanating from the schoolhouse, and that's when I saw her. It was a woman, if you could call her that, staring directly at me from a woman. A sickening smile crossed her face, and she realized I could see her. She didn't look like she fit, though. Her black, colonial dress and her gray, spindly hair pushed into a low bun. Little did I know how correct I was. When we returned home, I saw her again. She had followed me home. After that, I never felt safe or comfortable in my own home. I had no safe space anywhere. I saw her every day watching me, always watching me. It wasn't until I began to see other spirits in the house that I realized something was not quite right. I noticed two children laughing and running through the house, a grown man who stood outside my bedroom door with his arms crossed over his chest and an emotionless stare across his face, a creature-like black figure that would crawl past corners and hover over me. I hit a breaking point when I saw something in the bathroom. I had always gotten a terrible feeling from that side of the house where we shared a bathroom that my sisters and I used. It always seemed dark. The energy made me feel a bit uncomfortable, but never enough to stop me from using the bathroom. Until one night, I got home late from a soccer game and was in desperate need of a shower. I paid no mind to the energy that seemed to have shifted as I jumped into the shower and began my routine. It wasn't until I had relaxed a bit that I really felt it. The energy felt disgusting. It felt like I was prey to a hungry animal. I was suddenly scared to finish washing my hair as it required me to shut my eyes. I was so scared to close my eyes, knowing I wasn't alone. I didn't want to close my eyes as I stood there in the shower vulnerable. I finally decided, though, to try and rinse my hair as quickly as possible, hoping nothing would happen. As I closed my eyes and stood under the water, I heard an exhale. An exhale that almost sounded like relief, as if it had been waiting for me to close my eyes. As I heard it, I was overcome with dread. Knowing I was done scrubbing the shampoo out of my hair, I hesitated to open my eyes. I didn't want to see it. I wished I didn't have the ability to see things others couldn't. Slowly, I opened my eyes, and what I saw had me frozen with fear. What can loosely be described as a clown stood in front of me with a malicious smile. Its face was melting as if the water was washing away its features, its eyes melting away as it started to wipe away its own face slowly. After I had moved past the fear that had paralyzed me, I ran out of the bathroom, not finishing my routine, not even shutting off the water. I ran outside to the back deck to get out of the house. The house was not safe. Nothing felt safe. I decided to try and protect myself. The only way I could think to get rid of those things was to cleanse the house. I went throughout the house, opening all the doors, pantries, everything, even the attic. I could not let these things hide anywhere. As I opened the front door, the only exterior door that I opened, I lit the sage and began. I repeated out loud and internally, I cleanse this space of negative energies and those who wish to do me harm. Over and over, I repeated this in each room. I projected my intention, hoping this would increase the ability to cleanse the space. After I finished, I walked outside to dispose of the ash left in the wake of my cleansing. That night, as I was getting ready for bed, I saw them. All of them. We had a door with a huge window in the center, and they were standing outside on the front porch, looking inside, but not entering the house. 
I would be lying if I said I didn't flip them the bird as I moved past. I maintained cleansing the house every week to my parents' great displeasure. I began to set up crystals in my bedroom to stop negative energies from entering. I even put bells on the entrance ways to also discourage negative energies. I was determined to not allow anything into the house as I was sure I couldn't handle it anymore. Fast forward to my sister and I moving away from home and going to college together. I took my crystal collection as I thought I was the only one affected by the energy in our house. When my sister and I moved into our new apartment together, I went about my routine to cleanse the space and set up my crystals. She asked me what I was doing as she couldn't feel anything, which made my eyes kind of bug out. She had never mentioned that she felt or saw things in the house. Had she been experiencing all the things I had too? We decided to sit down and exchange stories about experiences in the house. She explained having a bad feeling in the house and having one or two unexplained negative experiences. She then decided to tell me about something that happened to her in the shower. I had never, ever, ever talked about my shower experience to anyone. She sat there and described in perfect detail the melting clown. What? We didn't know how to process this information, and to this day, we are freaked out if we bring it up. When visiting home periodically, we noticed the house was slowly becoming more and more negative. We decided to ask our mother why the house seemed to be so active. Her response baffled us. She explained that when that when she felt energies, she would let them know they were welcome to come home with her. My mother had been, <laughs> albeit unknowingly, letting anything and everything into that house oh for years. God. It's safe to say my sister and I barely visit, and when we do, we try not to stay in the house. Oh my God. Love the podcast and can't get enough of the stories and commentary. Remember, light your sage, set your crystals, and stay safe. M.W. M.W. Uh, I like the ending. How fucking mad are you at your mom? <laughs> that just cracks me. I just never thought of that where it's like, um, you know, we've talked about attachments and mm-hmm. about like, you know, somebody bringing an object into their house or something attaches to them and then they bring that into a different place. But I, I can't recall ever hearing a story about somebody just out in the world being like, come on in. Yeah, no just problem. Choo choo. <laughs> uh, the ghost train's heading back to the ghost station. Lots of friends there I've, I've gathered from other places. Oh my God. And like maybe that's where the clown came from if, if uh, the clown's out there. But yeah, and what and what a great place. I'm taking out my phone again, but only to fact check St. Augustine. Because I believe that St. Augustine is actually the oldest town in the United States. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm, I it, did not know that. Yes, yeah, settled by the Spaniards uh, way back in the colonial days. But I, I think it is the old, I mean, it's a very, very, oh yeah, this is crazy. Guess when it was founded. Just take a guess. Can you give me a hint? No, oldest one. I think it is the oldest town. Think the oldest, uh, you know, town settled in the U.S. Hmm. When did Columbus come? 1776? No. Uh, Columbus came in 1492. Where? What am I getting? Oh, Hamilton, 1776. I've got, That's when America was founded. I've got 1776. <laughs> I've got the Hamilton uh, yeah, soundtrack yeah, yeah. in my brain. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, 12, 13. That's way too early. That's way before Columbus. Uh, this is uh, 1565. But that's oh, very okay. old. Well, I don't know. I was like trying to, you were like, a, just guess. You made me th- <laughs> I was like, I don't know. How far back do you want to go? Right. I mean, that's just, uh, that's so crazy. So if you're just thinking of terms of like, like you know, I don't know, we, the way we talk about like where <laughs> ghosts can gather. Said the 1200s. <laughs> I, like, love, I love that I just said 1492, and yeah. then you're like, okay, so it's going to be older than when Columbus came. 
<laughs> okay. When, wanna... When's the first European settlement in America? <laughs> Definitely going to be before the first guy from Europe came to the Americas. I wasn't. I was thinking just yeah, like the first funny. time somebody like said like, and this is a place on this giant piece yeah. of land. I wasn't even thinking. Oh, that's great. And I, and I don't okay, know. Now this you're obsessively looking stuff. Okay. I know. I'm listening though, but I'm just trying no, to find the oldest city in the U.S. Is it St. Augustine? Come on. Come, Come on. on, baby. Are you correct? Come, yes, it is. All right. Okay. You are a student of history, I'm and a, I am a student am not. of trivia that doesn't matter for most jobs. Exactly. So, anyways, back to spoopy stories. Yeah. How about that melting clown? <laughs> I know. The fact that some another person saw it. I know. Well, clearly her mom, you know, when she's out fucking conducting the ghost train, <laughs> she uh, brought a clown home. Choo choo. I mean, if, if, that's, I wanna, if that town has been there for that long, I guarantee you a crazy amount of circuses have come through there over the years. <laughs> like since the very beginning of circuses, they were coming through St. Augustine. Uh-huh. So apparently one of them died there and she fucking brought him home. Oh, my God. Why is his face melting? I know. I know. That's a, that's a Why very... is he there at all? Why is he in the shower? Why is he in the shower? I'm... Maybe he used to go in there and wash off his clown makeup. Ah. And that's why his face looked like Milton. He's getting all the old white makeup. Maybe that's how he died. Because the makeup back then probably had a bunch of lead and mercury mm. and shit in it. And he, maybe it, I don't know. Made him go crazy. Maybe it made him go crazy. And maybe he killed a bunch of people. <gasps> and maybe he used to go wash their blood off his clown face in the shower. Oh, I'm thinking about that really, uh, that season of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. And it was, was it Carnival? Shakes. Yeah, I think was his the, name. The clown, but what's with the cut face and it's it was, like the crazy smile. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. season? Yeah, no, it was, uh, like, it was like because they all have different names or something. But it wasn't Carnival. That was a different show. Carnival was a HBO show. Yeah. Um, oh, Should Freak Show, Freak, freak Show. show. Okay. No, I don't need Google. I have a brain. Whoa. Yeah. Listen. Boom. Listen, America's Boom. oldest town was in the 1200s. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your brain could use Google more. <laughs> no, I'd rather I'd rather learn by doing and getting it wrong, and then it really stays in there. Okay, that was like a very Lulu thing, <laughs> was it not? Yes, it was. <laughs> we are going to be talking about this for ages. Oh uh, boy, that's oh, funny boy. to me. It is funny. It was a very Lulu thing to be super confident like, minutes after the twelve hundred by being like, "Listen, buddy." <laughs> I got a brain. That was that was like you and Monroe. Oh my God, two plus two is five. Mm-hmm. Duh. And oh it, God. But I love that it never puts a chink in the confidence armor. No, why? That's okay to be wrong. <laughs> exactly. Who cares? <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from you, it's okay to be wrong. Okay. Yeah. 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 You're you're a confident mistake maker. Like, and that's not that's not a dig. That's like yeah. you know, like if you fuck up, it's like yeah, okay. Yeah, I made a mistake. You, own it. Move on. Own it. Move on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a very much a common theme in our household. <laughs> Okay. Well, are we, we going to do some thank yous? Yeah. And, and the and the pictures, by the way, um, if you're a new creeper peeper that we refer to in these shows, are available on our Instagram and Facebook. Just scared to death podcast. Got it. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. Thanking some Annabelles. I want to thank the following Annabelles. I want to note that I feel like a little burp coming up, so just oh, I might have to pause. Oh boy. Um, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for their support on Patreon and helping us to donate to the charities that we do. Jose Ramos, Jeremy, Here Come the Spoons, Owens. Oh, that's nice. Michael Yagley, Kyle V, Dustin White, Daniel Shipley, Clancy Taylor. Great name, Clancy. Clancy Taylor sounds like a 19th century prospector. I fucking love this person. You hear Clancy Taylor struck, uh, struck gold on the uh, Hutton mine. Now, to me, it sounds like an author. 
Ooh, also. Mm -hmm. Written by Clancy Taylor. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Serena P. Abernathy. Great name. William Casanova. Faye Casanova. Hannah Higley. Sherry Jackson. Robert the Dumb Space Lizard. (laughs) Megan Langley. Jacob Camerand. Sarah Verlinda Alexander. Cheyenne Austin. Sierra Maine. Samantha Wynn. Kat Wax. Trent Pearson. Megan Blaney, Kelsey Lee, Haley Lovell, Tyler Haas, Nakia Thompson, and John, no last name. John, no last name. John Jacob. <laughs> Jingle Hammerschmidt. Uh, and I want to thank the following Annabelles also for supporting us here at Scared to Death. Angela Nicole. Dingmon! Lots of A's. They wrote it. Okay. Uh, Alexis Murphy, David Thomas, Kayla Herringer. Uh, Danielle Chavez, the Marx Brothers, but RK, not RX. <laughs> uh, Chandler Harper, John Gray, Lexi B13. So maybe uh, mili- maybe a military listener with the B13. Could oh. be you know, like like I think there's a bomber. I don't know. Um, Missy Jost. When I saw your name at first, I just ha- I, p- I read Moist. Oh, Missy Jost. I was thinking Joist. Oh, Joist. Uh, Danessa Little Axe. Very cool. The author ninety four. Uh, Salome Bonnie. Miguel Flores, or no, I'm sorry, Miguel. I always Did you do say that. Miguel? I, I know, and it, it's it's a habit from long ago. And uh, oh my God, Will XX in uh, in San Antonio was making fun of me so hard because uh, he's uh, Hispanic. Just making, he's like, dude, Miguel. He's like, why? <laughs> he's like, what are you always doing? Always add the. Oh boy. Uh, oh boy. I, I corrected myself. Oh John, boy, I corrected myself. John Huggins, Sean Hawkins, Jamie Herzog, Michelle Rush is the greatest band of all time. And now I have Tom Sawyer melodies uh, stuck oh, in my head. Oh, yes. Duran H. Austin Hemistad. Hemistad? Hemistad? What? Hemistad. Hemistad. Okay. Nicole Dunn. Kate Norton. Athen. Holy Polish. Jesus Christ. This name. A N D R Z E J E W S K S K I. So. Hold on, wait, spell it again? Holy shit. Hold on, spell it again. A-N-D. A-N-D. R-Z-E. R-Z-E. J-E-W. J-E-W. S-K-I. S-K-I. Andrzejewski. Andrzejewski. On. Oh, wait, on. Andrzejewski. Hold on, on. Dres. Juski. Andres. Juski. On. 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 I don't know. Andrzejewski. And uh, Jared. Uh, I bet it's just Andrzejewski. I bet it's like, I bet that middle part is just, just like fucking gets silent. Andrzejewski. Andrzejewski. I mean, I I'm Radzeminski. It's like you don't hit every. Yeah. Andrzejewski. Okay. And Jared uh, Bellis. Woo. Woo-wee. Woo-wee. Miguel, Miguel, Miguel. Fucking nailed it <laughs> after not nailing it. Where did you get M- Miguel? That's how I've always said it previously. Why? I have no Where idea. Where did you hear that? I don't know. Probably nowhere. Okay. I probably read it, and I probably said it that way in my head, and uh-huh. assumed that was right for many years, and no one corrected me. So I don't know. There's a long period of me calling Miguel's Miguel's, Miguel. and no, like years. That's not even many, how it's spelled. I know many years. You're and so I, lucky you lived oh. in Riggins, so you never had to ever practice it. <laughs> <laughs> you only had to practice John. We had one. Adams. We had the Estrada family, and none of their first names were Miguel. And they were the, for two years of high school and before, they were the only Hispanic people I knew because they were the only ones who lived in town. Oh. And it was a small town. It was a small town. Just a few people. Just a few people. And then before that, I lived in Las Vegas, which is a big city, but I didn't have many friends. 
Well, it's because you were setting shit on fire. No one wanted to be friends with the pyro. Because I was crazy and I didn't say people's names right. Uh, that's our show this week. Thank Excuse you. me. I have some spoopy shout outs. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I have that written right here and I just ran you sure over do. it. sure okay. do. All right. Well, I'd like to give the following spoopy shout outs, despite Dan not wanting me to do it. Mm -hmm. To Bill and Terry from Jennifer and Chase. Happy anniversary. To Andrea from Lindsay. Oh, happy birthday, Andrea. Andrea. Oh, man. This is like a, like a very... Like, oh, heartbreaking story. Andrea and Lindsay have been friends for a really, really long time. Like, mm -hmm. I'm talking 15, 20 years. Andrea is really sick, diagnosed <sighs> with, like, some horrific cancer. Lindsay reached out to me a while ago, and we've just been like, I don't know. There's sometimes just some things that happen where you just connect with somebody, probably because we have awesome names. But we were just going back and forth, and... Like, when I read the email, when she asked for the shout-out, I just, like, sat at my computer and sobbed, like, thinking about people who have been in my life that are so significant to me. And it sounds like Andrea, like, met her soulmate later in life, and, like, her life started going how she wanted it to go later, and you just don't get to enjoy it for as long. And now you're faced with this, and it's just like, fuck. Like, you have to seize the day. You mm -hmm. have to. You know, or like I think about like my mom. She met my stepdad so much mm -hmm. later in life, and she loves him so much. And she always says like, "I only wish I would have met him sooner." Yeah, yeah. So we're just sending you so much love, Andrea, to Michelle from Alyssa. I love you. Happy wedding day. Okay, that's like a nice counter happy thing. Mm -hmm. And um, Michelle and Alyssa are obviously well, not obviously, but they are a gay couple, and uh, they wrote in. Uh, one side of the family is not very supportive. So we ah, just sorry. Yeah, fuck it. We're happy for you guys. Love is love, and mm -hmm. you just you do you. And now you're building your own family. Yeah, so which is uh, the most important one you're gonna have. Mm -hmm. I know it is crazy how that shifts. Yep, don't get to pick your family if they're great. Lucky you. And if they're not, some people fight really hard. Where it's mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, but I gotta have them in my life. I've never been of that opinion. I'm like, me either. No, you don't. Yeah, you know, you don't. Yeah. You don't have to. I've, there's family members I've cut out in the past, and I don't regret it. Yep. And they died, and uh, some yep. of them older, and and I don't regret like oh I wish I would have made things right. I'm like, now nah, they were fucking terrible people. Yeah, and I and don't it, miss not spending time with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And everybody's got their own stuff to go through. But like you said, now like you get to you get your own path now. Now mm -hmm. you get to decide what family is and and how you get to course correct. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. To Anna from Bryant, happy belated birthday, and to Nate from Deja. Deja's a longtime supporter. I love you, and I'm so happy I married you. Oh. Uh, that is now our you can close the show out <laughs> okay. my god uh, that is our show this week thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com you can email us for everything else info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com Thanks to Zach Flannery for producing uh, and directing when Joe is out. Yeah. Uh, Joe is back today. I'll throw to him in a second. Thanks to Joe Paisley for being here today again. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Thanks to book editor Drew Atana for helping format the listener stories each week. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding today's first story. Sarah Finch for finding the second. Thanks to all the fans for sending in the cool things all the time. I know. I it's love it. It's crazy that what shows up here. And then... Um, Joe, I did not talk to him before the show. He's back in the office about this. Back in the office this week. Appreciates all the messages regarding, oh. you know, thoughts being with him as he deals with a, a medical emergency in the family with his father. Joe, I don't know if you want to say anything. You don't have to if you don't want to. I mean, just mostly thank you. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it, they're always there. The listeners of, I mean, of Scared to Death, of Time Suck, of Is We Dumb, just the whole community. Uh, it has been, a, it's been a, a crazy outpouring 
of just, you know, hundreds of emails and messages. So thank you guys very much. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank oh. you for helping Joe. Yeah, we're also lucky to have such a supportive community where it's like, I know that you worked really hard on Time Suck to make it a non-divisive place. Like, it's a very middle-of-the-road place. Then, obviously, this show is, you know, scared to death is not and doesn't need to be political yeah. or, like, different views. It's like, ah, there's just scary stories. So it's easier to build a community where it was so much harder with Time Suck because the topics can be more polarizing. And I'm opinionated, which it cracks me up that, that we've gotten such an accepting community when I can be so aggressive with my opinions. Well, and then you guys are ridiculous on Is We Dumb? Mm -hmm. But like people leave their opinions aside and just mm -hmm. come there for a good time. And I'm just so proud of like how we've built this community. I mean, it started with you, you know, of just people who it's like, they don't care if you're left or right or black right. or white or gay or straight. It's like, yeah, they just don't want you to be an asshole. Right. And like, we're all just people, as mm -hmm. you say, meat sacks, like just trying to get through it. And when something happens, when a tragedy strikes, when a tough moment happens, there is nothing more beautiful than watching people just come together yeah. and supportive. And it restores my faith in humanity, which yeah. is very often lost. So I, I am, I am, so happy to see our community rally behind Joe. Uh, me too. Me too. And with the community, I was thinking I had this thought in the shower. It's probably something I'll be working on with stand-up, but it was a good perspective shift for me. I think the last couple of years, there's been a tendency with all the divisiveness and mm -hmm. anger in society to see somebody, okay, let's say uh, you're on the left and you see uh, a flag on the back of somebody's truck or you see a Trump bu bumper sticker. Mm -hmm. And then you want to build a whole narrative about this person based on this one thing. Mm -hmm. When really, maybe that person, they just love a few good things about, they love uh, the military, they love law enforcement, they have law enforcement relatives, maybe they are, and they could be very pro your viewpoints in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. And they're actually a really good person because when I talk to people on both sides, when I talk to individuals, they're good people over mm -hmm. and over and over again. Or maybe you're on the right and you see somebody with the Bernie and you, mm -hmm. oh, they want to turn this country into a communist nightmare. No, they probably don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe they want health care for their kids because maybe their kid has an illness. Maybe they want higher education right. to be paid for by the kids because they can't afford to send them. There's always a reason why people believe what they believe. And it could be a very positive thing mm -hmm. that you also believe. But I think there's a tendency to just focus on the negative. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I'm going to focus on building a negative uh, made up character mm -hmm. around this one bumper sticker or this one thing. And I just find that when you talk to people mm -hmm. and when people on the left talk to people on the right and vice versa and people in the middle talk to everybody else, I think there's – they find that there's more in common and, and that they're better people than they assumed they were. Yeah. That, well, that yelling back and forth mm -hmm. is usually just based on media echo chambers and different – and not on actual real-life discussions with people I think. I agree. It's sort of like that age-old saying, like, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. If people judged me by one thing that I did in my life, yeah. I could go through a multitude of things that I've done that have not been, they're not flattering. Right. Right? And if you, like, like the time that I stole money from my neighbor, like, if you yeah. found that out about yeah. me and you judged me on that for, like, robbing the mm -hmm. neighbor's piggy bank, you would think I'm a fucking horrible person. Right. As opposed to, like, knowing the whole story of, like, we could barely keep food on the table, the lights were barely mm -hmm. on, like, we were struggling and I was stealing the money so that I could like not have to ask my mom for money so that I could hide it from my friends and I could hang yeah. like it doesn't make it okay but there's yeah. a there's a reason why I, w I was being an asshole mm -hmm. right again not okay not excusable yeah got in a lot of trouble when they found out 
But I think we have a community of people have, who don't judge each other by their worst exactly, moments. Exactly. Or by one thing. Exactly. You know, by your worst moments. Yeah, they're straight, gay, left, right, religious, not religious, mm-hmm. black, white, whatever. And it's like right, and everybody gets along, opposites. which is so nice and refreshing now, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And to watch that community. We've watched the community come together yep. so many times. And I think our giving tree is mm-hmm. like the most beautiful example of that. Because at the end of the day, we all, if, if you celebrate a holiday... And this time of the year is important to you. Yeah. We all know that feeling of like, oh, God, I don't want to let my kids down. Yep. That is a yeah. common human theme. So thanks for being <gasps> awesome people. Bye. Thanks, Bad guys. magicians. We enjoy, love you. We love you. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Finding the music you love shouldn't be hard. That's why Pandora makes it easy to explore all your favorites and discover new artists and genres you'll love. Enjoy a personalized listening experience simply by selecting any song or album, and we'll make a station crafted just for you. Best of all, you can listen for free. Download Pandora on the Apple App Store or Google Play and start hearing the soundtrack to your life. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to TruthFinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's TruthFinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.